going to continue to worship the Lord this morning with our gifts and tithes and offerings. What a lead-in. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and so before we we'll pray again. Father, thank you so much that you've given to us. And God, you've been so generous in doing that. And as we give back, Father, we want to see uh, your vision completed in this earth, Jesus. We pray for every missionary we support. God, we pray for our city. God, we pray for every house that's represented in this building this morning. God, that your provision would be there. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I want to give you guys a quick update. I know some of you weren't here last week. So uh, the bad news is that they're remodeling the theater, and they're putting in luxury recliners, which I know sounds awesome, but it's really not, because you will fall asleep. I'm not an exciting preacher. I won't be able to keep you awake. Uh, but then they're also going to have us down to 100 seats in here, which means that even if we were to go to two services, we would still be absolutely maxed out at what we could accommodate here at Radiant Church. And we can't allow that to happen because there are still hundreds of thousands of people in our community that are far from Jesus. So we can't be capped at 200 when there's 200,000 that still need to know about Jesus and put their faith inside of him. So what's happened is the Lord's actually opened a door for us uh, to purchase 242 Community Church's old building. They just moved into a new place, awesome for them and awesome for us because they're going to sell us their old one. And uh, what that means is went to the banker and met with them, like, you guys are doing incredible. And he said, what you need is about another $150,000 to bring to close to be able to make this deal happen. And then everything will be great, and you guys can move in there before Easter. And I'm like, that's incredible. $150,000 is a lot of money. We were able to save $120,000 towards the building last year, which is incredible, uh, but we still need more. So what I did was I uh, really prayed about it, went to the board, went to my overseers. I'm like, yeah, we really believe God's in this, and this is what we need to do and move forward with. So I went to my team because I believe that, that the leaders should lead in giving. And so I went to them and said, we need $150,000. What is it that we can give towards this? And so because of the generosity and just the all-in mentality of the staff here, uh, that number dropped down to $92,000 that we still need to raise, which is, I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, clap about that. That's awesome. And so uh, next week, we're going to be taking up an offering, our little miracle making room offering, so that we can get this building. And people have been uh, messaging me, texting me, emailing me, and people are like, there's this one college student. And they're like, I'm all in. And like, they, they were all in. We've had people who wrote a check, and you know that they cleared their account because it was like 36 cents on the end of the figure. Uh, you don't just write that. People are clearing their accounts to be all in on this. And so now that number's dropped down to like another $75,000 that we still need to raise, and we haven't even taken the offering yet. So this is our approach to this, is we want you to give next week, so we really want to get into this building. We believe it's God's provision that's going to open up opportunities for us to grow and to reach more people. We can't stay here. We know that. That's become very clear. So we believe this is where God's leading us. And the approach that we want to take is we're not doing a month-long sermon series. We're not doing pledge cards or anything like that. We're just saying give freely. There's no compulsion. We're not going to like check their records and see who gave what or anything like that. Uh, we want you to give freely. If you don't want to give, don't give. Uh, but we also want you to give wholeheartedly. And what that means is that if your heart is attached to Radiant Church and you believe in the vision and the mission that God has called us to, then really pray about what it is that God would have you give. And for some of you, it might not be that earth-shattering of a thing. For some of you, you might be felt, feel led to go all in or somewhere in between. We just want you to be obedient to what it is that God's called you to do because we know this, is that uh, $150,000 is nothing for Jesus uh, he created the world, and the world has a lot of gold in it, so he can certainly provide for us what we need to do. 
And I believe that he's going to move on all of our hearts collectively to give the amounts that we're supposed to give so that we get the amount that we need to get. And I'm not going to do high pressure or sales or anything else about that. This is the end of my speech. Uh, continue to pray and fast about what is God would have you to give. And next week on the 12th, which incidentally happens to be my birthday, and all I want for my birthday is about 75 grand. So <laughs> just throwing that one out there. It's not that big a deal, is it? But it's also interesting, that's the five-year anniversary of when we moved here to Ann Arbor. It was on February 12th of 2012 that we packed up our, all of our stuff and our three-week-old son and our dog, and that was a horrible combination in one vehicle. <laughs> and we drove here and we moved in. So it's really cool how God's orchestrated everything on our five-year anniversary. God's providing a building for us, and I'm really excited about that. If you want to know more, you can go to our website, radiantA2.com, and uh, there's a tab called Building for the Future right there. You can read more about it. You can see some videos of the building that we're getting, so you can see more what's going to be like. It's going to be awesome. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn to Matthew chapter 15? We're concluding Seek. This is it. It's Super Bowl Sunday. You all can go and eat all of the nasty, terrible stuff that you have been missing out on for the last three weeks. You can hop on social media and read all of the craziness of the world that's going on and get back into flaming people. So, good news, the fast is over. And I've heard really incredible things. Even just this morning, I was talking to someone, and they said, these last three years for me have been terrible. My health, finances, our house, I mean, just all kinds of things have been going on. They feel like it's been three years of loss for them. And then after three weeks of fasting, they've had two uh, job interviews after just like nothing happening for years, which is incredible. Uh, the bank told them that they couldn't get this house, and then the government called back and was like, hey, you get to get the house. And the person said, in 27 years, I have never heard of this happening. And they said, you must be friends with God or something. Like, it just so happens I am. But some of my favorite stories I've heard, I've heard from so many people, is that during this time of fasting, I've gotten to know Jesus more, and I've been able to hear his voice more. And that is the absolute greatest reward that there is for seeking after God. And my prayer is this, keep doing it, keep praying, keep fasting, because I know this, some of you have seen incredible answers to your prayers, and praise God for that, let's celebrate it, email me, send an email to info at radiantA2.com, let me know what God did during this time of fasting, because we want to be able to celebrate it and thank God for it, but for some of you, you haven't received the thing that you've been seeking God for these last three weeks. And the temptation is to become discouraged or to become disheartened by it. Uh, sometimes what happens is when we're praying and fasting, we really extend our faith to believe God for something, and then we don't see it happen, and so we end up giving up. We give up on seeking after what it was that we started seeking God for. We're not seekers anymore. We're just existers. And this is my encouragement to you. If you haven't seen it happen in these three weeks, don't give up. Don't give in. Never surrender a move of God in your life. Keep seeking after him. God promised Abraham something incredible. We looked at him in the first week. God said, I'm going to make you the father of a multitude of nations. As a 75-year-old man who he and his wife are past the age of having children, God says, and I'm going to do this in you. Well, it takes him 25 years before he has his son. 25 years. If, I'm glad he didn't quit at three weeks of praying and fasting and seeking after God. But for 25 years, he continued to believe that God was going to do what it was that God said he was going to do. And I'm sure that in a 25-year period, there were plenty of opportunities for him to say, I heard God wrong. Maybe God isn't able. Maybe God doesn't really want to do this. Or maybe I've disqualified myself from it because he did some really bad and stupid things. 
And he could have thought, I've disqualified myself from what God wanted to do in my life. But he continued to believe, he continued to press in, he continued to seek after God, and because of his faith, he was able to receive the fulfillment of God's promise to him. And the same thing will happen in our lives. There are things that are going to take longer than three weeks of seeking for you to see happen. It might take three months, three years, three decades. Are you willing to continue to seek God for this thing because it's so important? It's what God wants to provide for you. It's what God wants to do through you. This, these are things that we have to continue to seeking after God for. And even you won't see all of what God has promised you because your life, your one lifetime of 70, 80, maybe 90 years, if you eat really, really well and have great genes, you might make it 90 years, and that is too small of a lifespan for God to do everything that he wants to do in. There will be the fulfillment of what God has spoken to you in your children, in the children's children, in the people that you contact at work, the people that you're able to minister to in, in random settings, whatever. The blessing that God is going to put in you is something that's going to live on long after you perish from this earth. So don't ever quit. Even if it's your last day on this earth and you're drawing that last breath and you haven't seen the fulfillment of what God promised you, you keep believing. And just like Abraham did, it says that he greeted it from afar by faith, knowing that even though he might not have seen it, that God was able and would do everything that he said he would do. Now, one of the hardest stories in the Bible actually addresses this idea. Uh, it's someone who finds himself seeking after Jesus for something, and they're not receiving it. And what we learn from them shows us the attitude and the mindset that we have to have as we continue to seek after Jesus for the things that he's called us to. It says in Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28, and the backstory is Jesus has just gotten done teaching and he's been healing and do all of his miraculous ministry in Israel, and then he escapes out of Israel into the north for some time of rest. It says, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him, pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. And Jesus responded, It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great, your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. Now, this is one of those stories that I remember the first time I read this, and I was like, Jesus is kind of a jerk. I mean, when you, I mean, that's honestly, when you're reading this, you think, Jesus, why wouldn't you do this for this woman? And it's just, this is something that isn't taught on a lot because it is a really hard story, but it's, we learn so much from it. And the first thing that we see in this story is that we have to live a life of prayer and fasting. And that's the very first thing is how the story starts out. Now, there are a million good things that you can spend your life doing. Millions of them. There are so many needs, there are so many worthy causes that we can invest our lives in that will actually distract us from the most important thing in our life. And that's seeking after God. Jesus understood this. 
And what Jesus is doing is he's doing the miraculous ministry. He's doing good things. He's healing people. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. He's teaching the culture and the ethic of the kingdom of God. These are all good things. You would think, Jesus, why would you stop doing that to get away by yourself? It's because Jesus recognized that the most important thing for him to do, the number one priority in his life, wasn't the work of the ministry. It was staying relationally connected to his father. It was seeking after his father. It was knowing God in the quiet place. It was continuing to be shaped and molded and influenced by his father and to receive identity and to receive power from his father. And it's because Jesus was spending that time getting away, drawing off away from the crowds and the multitudes and all of the, the busyness and all of the people who were trying to get to him. I mean, there's a lot of sick people in the world that need healing. Jesus didn't heal every sick person in the world because he was always getting away from doing that so he could go do the greater thing, which was to spend time connecting with his father. Now there's a story that I love because uh, Jesus comes into the scene and his disciples have been trying to cast a demon out of a woman. And they're not able to, do, I'm sorry, out of a boy. And they're not able to do it. And Jesus comes up and he's like, this kind of demon only comes out by prayer. And then he casts the demon out of the boy. Now you would think if Jesus says this demon comes out only by prayer, he would go get away and pray and come back and do it. But he doesn't. He says, this comes out by prayer, and then he casts the demon out, which means that Jesus has been living a life of prayer. He doesn't just wait until he finds himself in a moment of need. He's praying all the time, so that when he comes into the moment of need, he's already equipped and enabled to do the work that God has called him to do. If we aren't spending time with our Father, then when we come into the situations that God has called us to exert his power and to see his kingdom come into, if we aren't receiving power from God, if we aren't receiving identity from God, if we aren't receiving an understanding from God, then we will come into that situation and we'll be powerless to do anything just like the disciples were. What good are we in that situation? We're no good. And this is what's happened. Is this woman, she understands something about Jesus. She understands his nature. She understands that he's merciful, and that's why she keeps appealing to his mercy. She understands that he's powerful, which is why she keeps appealing to his power. We need to have that same understanding of God, but that understanding only comes from when we're seeking after God in prayer. When we connect with God relationally, we begin to understand more of who he is. We understand his nature. We understand his character. And when we begin to understand his nature, his character, and his ability more, it, it causes us to persevere and to keep going, just like this woman. She wouldn't give up. She wouldn't be denied, no matter what the circumstance was that was in front of her. She kept going because she had an understanding of who Jesus was. We can't wait until we find ourselves in the storm of life to go after God. We can't wait until we're in our hour of our need to when we decide that we're going to connect with God. You better decide what it is that you believe about Jesus before you find yourself in the place of need. Otherwise, the situation is going to shape your theology instead of the revelation of Jesus. If you go into the storm and you haven't connected with God and you don't have a faith built up inside of you about who he is and what he can do and what his nature is like, then you're going to be in trouble when that storm hits you and you won't persevere and you won't go after it and you will forfeit what it was that God wanted to do in you. Even Jesus had this moment when he's in Gethsemane. Uh, he's getting ready to be arrested and to go to the cross where he's going to go through unbelievable torment and torture. And he's going to bear the wrath for all of man's sin. And he's sitting there and he's praying to God the Father and he says, God, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me and let it happen. Jesus doesn't want to go to the cross. 
It's terrible. He says, but not my will, but yours be done. Because he knew what he believed about the Father before he found himself in that hour of need. And because he knew the Father, he was willing to submit himself to the Father's plan. And he was willing to walk into it and to persevere hardship like we will never know. And we have to get to that same place. We have to live a life of prayer and of fasting. We have to know God. And that's the greatest reward that we seek. All the blessings of God, those are great. I love that. I love hearing about people getting healed, marriages restored, people getting houses, and you know, ideas for ministries that are birthed, and you know, relationships that are reconciled. I love all of that stuff. But the greatest thing is seeing people awaken to that love that God has for them and to have a love stirred up inside of them and to see faith stirred up where they're willing to follow Jesus regardless of what the cost might be to them. That's the greatest reward that there is when we seek after God. And that's the reward that every single one of us can receive if we will just continue to seek after our Father. So even though our fast is done, this is my encouragement. You've got to live a life of prayer and fasting. Keep your appointment. You did it for 21 days, and even if you stopped at some point, get back on it. Keep going. Pick that appointment in your morning. Start your day with praying, with worshiping, with seeking after Jesus. Start that day with worshiping him, just encountering God. And pick one day a week where you fast. The early church, they fasted two days a week. We'll only do one day a week. But just find that day, say, whether it's Wednesdays or Fridays or whatever, but pick something that you're going to fast because you say, the greatest thing in my life, my number one priority even over my, my career, over uh, these causes that I'm serving, over serving in the church, even over my family itself, the greatest priority in my life is knowing God. So I'm going to continue to carve out this time so I can always be relationally connected to him. And then uh, we learn that she was seeking something that was worth seeking. She isn't just looking for career advancement. She's not looking for a raise. She's not looking for more likes or followers on social media or a better car or anything like that. What she's seeking for, this is something that's truly important. She wants freedom for her daughter. Her daughter is severely tormented by a demon. What a nightmare situation that must be. Imagine, put yourself in the place of this woman. And there's nothing like the love that a mother has for their child. Dads, we love our kids and all that stuff, but moms, you got us beat, hands down. Because we didn't go through nine months of carrying a child, and if we did, we would never, ever do it again. <laughs> like, I'm always surprised that women have more than one child. I'm like, do you remember what happened? <laughs> like, I would never go through that. But women, they have a sacrificial, completely selfless and sacrificial love for their children. They're always on their minds. When I go out for a date, um, Ann and I, we go out there and we hang out, and I, like, I forget that we have kids. <laughs> She'll be talking like, oh, I wonder what our kids are doing. I'm like, we have kids? Oh my goodness. What's your name? Like Easton, Ethan, something like that? Like, they're not even on my mind. I have no clue, because I'm just like enjoying life. But my wife, she's just always, her thoughts, her intentions are always for the well-being of our kids. And this woman comes and she's seeking something important. Her daughter is tormented by a demon. And there's nothing she can do about it. Absolutely nothing she can do. But she would give anything. She would have probably given her life to see her daughter freed from that demon. 
And because of that great need and the love that she had, the, how great of a cause it was, this was important. This was something that she had to seek God for. She was willing to persevere. She would not be denied. She was going to press in no matter what it might be. She was going to seek God for this thing. And what is that thing for you? Are you seeking something that's worth seeking after? Is it something that's on the heart of God? That's a good way to test. Is this something that is really worth me spending my life seeking after? Is this something that God is seeking after? Is this something that has eternal significance? Is this something that's just about you and more pleasure, more comfort in your life? Or is this about seeing the kingdom of God come and seeing it advance, seeing people saved, seeing people set free, seeing people healed, seeing relationships restored? Is this about seeing a racial reconciliation occur? Is this about seeing the oppressed set free, those who have received injustice receive justice? What is it that your heart is really seeking after? Is there something that there's just a fire that's burning inside of your heart for it? Are you passionate about having a godly marriage if you're married? Are you passionate about living a godly life as a single person if you're single and modeling and demonstrating that to others? Are you passionate about seeing your faith passed on to your children and seeing them rise up and know Jesus and being world changers and history makers? Are you passionate about seeing the lost in our city come to that saving knowledge of Jesus, seeing those who are hopeless come and find the hope that is in Jesus? Do you want to see restoration occur? What is it that you're seeking after and are you red hot passionate about this thing? Is it worth seeking after? Is it something that's on the heart of God? It was for this woman. What she was seeking after was, was important. She was passionate about it. She wouldn't be denied. She was going to press in no matter what the cost might be. And so the woman goes up to Jesus and she cries out, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon and torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. See, she was met with silence. And this doesn't line up with our picture of Jesus, does it? When you think of Jesus and what he's like, his nature, his character, all of that stuff, we don't think about Jesus as being the one who, when someone comes up to him who's in incredible need, seeking a worthy thing, gives them silence. Doesn't even dignify them with an answer. Completely ignores them. I think part of that's because our picture of Jesus is shaped more by our culture than by who Jesus actually is. So why would Jesus do this? This wouldn't be a new experience for her. Uh, she's a Gentile. She's someone that's outside of the club. She would be used to any good rabbi, any good Jewish teacher, when she would have approached them, they would have treated her the same way. Because they said, we're the chosen race, we're the ones that God loves, and everybody else, you're all untouchable, you're unclean, I'm going to stay away from you. Hey, this was racism at its, you know, like, wow, it's there, like, we are the only race that's good, everybody else, you're just junk, we're not even going to dignify you. But Jesus? Would she have expected to be treated like this by Jesus? 
Have you had those moments in your life where you're seeking after God for something, or where you're hurt, where you're broken, where you desperately need God to do something, and you go to him and you think, this is it, I'm going to come to Jesus with this, he can do this, he can provide for me, I know what he's done for other people, I know that he's loving, I know that he's good, I know that he's merciful, I know that he's just, all of these things, so I'm going to go to Jesus, and Jesus is going to be my provision, Jesus is going to be the answer to this, and so you go to Jesus, and you cry out to him, and you're filled with faith and expectation, and silence. Not a word. God, if he just said, I'll get back to you even, or wait, or later, not yet, or even a no, that would be helpful. But silence? Not a word, God? We've all had those moments. And the thoughts that go through our head are, does God not hear me? I mean, you've probably felt like they ever felt like you're praying and your prayers are just hitting the ceiling and bouncing down and there is nothing going on. But we know that God hears us. The scriptures clearly say that God hears us when we pray. Well, am I asking wrong? You guys have probably thought, maybe I'm not praying right. Because you hear people on TV and they're praying and it's all flowy and rhyming and eloquent. You think, okay, I gotta like, I gotta like curse something or I've gotta lose something or use some these and thighs. And so we like try to change the way that we're praying, but that's not it. Jesus addresses prayer and says, like, don't be like the showy people. Just come to me and be honest. Be sincere with me. Talk to me like I'm a person. So it's not that we're praying wrong. Is it maybe that God doesn't want to do this thing? Well, we know in this situation, it says that Jesus came to free the captives. Her woman's living in bondage, so we know that Jesus wants to free the captives. Is it that God's unable to do this? Have you ever thought that? When you've been faced with silence by God, maybe for a long time you think, God, are you able to do this? Maybe this is something that's beyond what you can do. But we know that nothing is impossible for God. Is it that God's not loving? Maybe we look at the hurt and the brokenness of the world around us or that we're encountering. Is it maybe that Maybe our atheist friends are right. Maybe if there really was a God and he was loving, he wouldn't allow these things to happen. But we know God is loving. We've experienced his love. Is it that God's not good? We've tasted and seen his goodness. See, I've had all these questions go through my mind at different times when you're met with silence from God when you need him desperately, when you need a move of God in your life for someone that you desperately love and care about. And when you're met with that silence, it's easy to, to take that as a no. It's easy to take that as God doesn't care. It's easy to take that as God isn't able or he's not good. But when God's silent, he's trying to form something in us. He's trying to create conditions inside of our heart. See, when God's silent, it isn't because his character or his nature has somehow changed. What he's doing is he's trying to change our nature. He's trying to change our character. He's trying to build more faith inside of us so that when we meet God's silence, we don't just take it as a rejection and then walk away. There are things that are going to require incredible faith in our lives to see them happen. And the faith that we have at the moment is enough to make it happen. And sometimes what God does is he chooses to be silent 
to cause us to have to build more faith in our lives, to dig deeper after him, to go farther after him than we ever have before, to come to the place of where we have to make a decision of either I'm going to give up on this thing and just go live a life that's satisfied with something less than what God's called me to, or I'm going to get really serious and I'm going to dig deep and I'm going to run fast and I'm going to run far and no matter what happens, I'm going to be refused to be denied what it is that God has spoken to me. And that's what happens in the heart of this woman. When God is silent, she doesn't give up. Her faith and perseverance go to another level. And she continues to seek after Jesus. And it says this, Then her disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all of her begging. See, in response to God's silence, it says that she just keeps begging. She's begging. She's pleading with God. She's wearing out the disciples. And the disciples, being spiritual giants, are like, get her away. (laughs) Sorry, I scared myself there. (laughs) Have you ever had friends that were like that, like the disciples? Like, just give up on what it is that God spoke to you, what God called you to. You ever had the Job friends? We've been that. I mean, we had friends that have done that to us, and we've also been that friend to other people, so we can't get too proud about anything. But what we need to do is we need to be like this woman. We just need to beg. We need to keep going after it. And this is what I love. Even though the disciples are saying, send her away because she's wearing us out, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus might be silent, but he never sends you away. He invites you to press in. He invites you to raise your faith and to keep going after him. And this is how the story continues. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. So she's met with a timeline. What this is meaning is that Jesus came to minister to the people of Israel. This one little tiny nation is where he's spending his life, his 33 years ministering. He doesn't really travel outside of 100 miles of the city that he was born in in his life. There's a whole huge world that needs salvation and redemption and the message of the kingdom of God. But he spends it in a tiny little speck comparatively to the entire world. It's because God has a plan. There's a progression that it's working through. It started with one man, Abraham, that turned into a family that God was using, that turned into a nation that God was using. And what Jesus came to do was to come and to preach the message of the kingdom of God, that the Messiah had come, that there was salvation found not through following the law, but through the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross for our sins. Jesus came to preach the kingdom of God. He came to die on the cross. He came to uh, create the church and to send the Holy Spirit. That was what Jesus came to do. And then it was supposed to go global after that. The apostles, they went out all over the world. And Paul was specifically called not to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. He spent his life going to people who were far from God that had never even heard of the Christian God. And so what Jesus is saying is that you're getting out of order. That's not the timeline. That's not the progression that I'm following. You're asking me to do something that isn't in the right time to do that now. It's basically saying, this isn't my time. And where have we heard Jesus say that before? The the first miracle Jesus ever did. They're at a wedding. They run out of wine, which is a huge embarrassment for the family. And his mom says, have Jesus do something. She's like, Jesus, do something. They ran out of wine. Now, Jesus has never done a miracle in his whole life. And somehow his mom just thinks that he can do anything. His mom recognized something about him. Moms do that. And Jesus says, it's not my time. And his mom doesn't care and just says, listen to him and do what he says. 
And so he goes and he turns water into wine. See, what's happened is Mary says that I'm calling something from a f- ahead of the timeline. I'm calling something from the future into existence now. In fact, that might sound crazy or new agey, but that's the way Jesus told us to pray. He said, when you pray, say, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're doing when we're praying is we're saying, Jesus, we know that in heaven there is no sickness. We recognize that we live in a world where there is sickness. We live in an age where we still get sick and where we still die. But Jesus, we're praying that we would see on earth what it is that we see in heaven. We know that when you return, Jesus, all sickness, all hurting, all death, all suffering, all of these things are going to be put away forever. But what we're doing now is we're praying, we're skipping ahead of the timeline and saying, let that happen now. Let that happen in our time. Let that happen in our age. And that's what we have to continue to do when we're praying. Uh, When you're praying for something, that's what I do. When someone comes to me and they're sick, I'm always like, Jesus, there is no sickness in heaven. Let heaven manifest itself on earth in this person. That's how we pray. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. So don't ever let a timeline thing keep you from going after that. Just like this woman, she said, I don't care that this isn't the time. Let the future come and happen now in this place. And then it says, but she came, wait, did I skip something? I'm sorry, I'm getting all ahead of myself. Yeah, I only came to help the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. And so she worshiped Jesus. In the midst of the silence, in the midst of not yet, she worships Jesus. And so I had to come to a place of, just like this woman, she says, my daughter is suffering terribly. Jesus' brokenness can be, my heart as a mother is as broken as can be. Jesus, you're being silent. You're saying that you're not going to do it. But you're still worthy of my worship. You're still worthy of my affection. You're still worthy of me going after you, even in the midst of my hurt, even in the midst of my brokenness, even when I haven't seen you do anything, even when you're just being silent towards me. You're still worthy of of all of my praise and all of my adoration. And in fact, pleading is an act of worship. When we come and we plead to Jesus, what we're doing is we're recognizing that he's the one who is able to do that. It's an act of worship. Uh, when, we, when we go to our bank to get money because we need money, I mean, that's an act of saying, okay, my bank or my money is able to provide something for me. It's kind of an act of worship. When we go to Jesus, what we're saying is that you're the one who's able to do this. I'm putting faith in you. I'm putting trust in you. I'm putting hope in you. Even in our brokenness, in our crying, in our pleading, in our begging for Jesus to move, that itself is an act of worship. And no matter how hurting, no matter how broken you might be, we have to be like this woman. We have to continue to come right where we are, right as we are, and continue to fall at the feet of Jesus and worship him. And Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. So she comes and worships Jesus, and she receives an insult. And some people have tried to, uh, there's like a modern interpretation of this, is Jesus isn't really calling her a dog. Uh, You know, dogs are a loved part of the family. We all have fur babies, and we love them. So he's like including them in the family. That's not what he's doing. There were no fur babies 2,000 years ago in the Palestinian culture. They hated dogs. They were an unclean animal. He's calling this woman who's completely broken and hurting an unclean animal. There's no way to make that sound better than it is. 
And doesn't that sound like an odd response for a broken woman who's coming to him that he ignores, that he says it's not time to do that yet, she worships him, then he says you're a dog. You know, this is one of the hardest things to accept about Christianity, is to receive an insult. Because you know what? We're all the dog. We're all the unclean animal. None of us are worthy of God's love. None of us are worthy of God's blessing in our life. None of us are worthy of receiving anything from Jesus. That woman wasn't. No Jew was. They thought they were, but they weren't. And we aren't either. One of the hardest things to accept about Christianity is to be able to say that we aren't right, that we aren't good, that we are messed up, that we are broken, that we need salvation, that we aren't worthy of God's love for us, that we aren't worthy of God's gifts for us. But that's where salvation starts for us. That's where God's work starts in us is when we say, Jesus, I'm not worthy. I admit I am sinful. I am fallen. I'm broken. I'm not worthy. I'm the dog. But still I come to you and I ask. She's not offended by this. She humbles herself and continues to seek after Jesus for what it is that she isn't worthy of. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus replied, your faith is great. Your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. See, what happened there is her faith was met with God's power. She goes from being called dog to dear woman. And you know what the difference was? It was her faith. She didn't make herself from a dog into a dear woman. She put faith in Jesus. And Jesus transformed who she was. And she received a new identity, not because of what she did, not because of who she was, but because of Jesus. Because here's the thing. Every single one of us, though we were fallen, even though every single one of us is the dog, we're the unclean animal, unworthy of God's love and unworthy of his affection, unworthy of his blessing, he still loves us. So much so that he came and God humbled himself, took on human form, lived amongst us, identified with us, suffered as we suffer, was obedient to the Father, went to the cross where he bore the full wrath of God, for all of our sins so that we could go from being dog to dear woman. Not because of us, all because of Jesus. And all it takes is our faith to be adopted into that family now. We aren't the dog anymore. Now we're the children that God wants to pour his blessings out on. And just as you receive new identity and salvation and life from Jesus through faith, you receive what you're seeking through faith. There are only two times that Jesus says someone has great faith. All the other times, he's like, oh man, you have such little faith. Oh, little faith, weak faith, all of these things. But twice he says great faith. And both times are to Gentiles, to the dogs, 
and they were able to receive what they were seeking after because they wouldn't be denied. They lived a life of faith. As I close this morning, I think the question we have to ask ourselves is what do we need to keep seeking God for? What is so important, what's so burning in our hearts that we can't give up, we can't be denied? We have to seek after Jesus for this. And we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to keep pushing in? And when we meet God's silence, are we willing to let faith rise up inside of us? When we receive that it's not the time for that, are we willing to ask God to bring his kingdom into the here and now? Are we willing to receive the insult? Are we willing to identify and understand we don't deserve anything from you, Father, but still we humbly seek after you? No matter how long it takes. Because you need it. Your family needs it. This city needs it. This nation needs the move of God in your life. There are billions of people in this world who are far from Jesus that need you to keep seeking on their behalf. There are millions of hurts and brokenness and injustice all over. We must keep seeking Jesus. Our fast might end today. The seek series might end today. But a life as a seeker can begin. And we know that there is a reward for those who seek. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we come after you. We thank you for everything that you have done. We recognize it's not us, it's all you. That new life was made available for us. Jesus, that your power was made available for us. And Father, this morning would you do something in our hearts to cause us to seek after you more than we ever have before. Jesus, to be filled with tenacity and perseverance, that we would refuse to be denied. We would never, ever give up, God. That we would prioritize you and finding you more than anything else in this world. And God, would you speak to our hearts now? Would you fan into flame uh, that, that small spark, maybe, for the thing that you've called us to seek after, God, that it would envelop us, that it would consume us. You said that you yourself are a consuming fire inside of us. Jesus, would you build a, a fire inside of us that when we look at our own brokenness and the brokenness of the world around us that we wouldn't be able to stand for, but we would spend our entire lives laying ourselves down for others, God, to see your kingdom come and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, let us never grow content. God, don't let us ever give up. Don't let us ever become complacent in these things. Jesus, let Radiant Church be known as a church where there's a fire that burns. where people seek after you and where lives are forever changed. Let it start in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, we're going to end our fast taking communion together and the ushers are going to be passing that out. It'll be like one little cup you take and there's two cups in there, one with bread and with juice. I'm going to have you just hold on to those and we're going to worship together and then at the end I'll come back up and we'll take communion together. What I encourage you is, if you're not a believer in Jesus, I'd encourage you to just let it pass by and don't grab it. It says that this is something that we do if you're part of the family of God. And the other thing that it says is that if there's some unforgiveness that you have in your heart towards someone else, the Bible says forgive them first and then take communion. So, uh, this is a great time. If you're not a follower of Jesus, make that decision. If you've been far, come back to him, come close to him. And if there's something that you need to forgive someone for, I encourage you, forgive them.
And then after this song, we're going to celebrate communion together.